0: hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is great to see you this morning, and I want to welcome those of you on our live stream as well. Thank you for joining us at home. If you're wondering what service to come to, it's our second one. It's at 1045, because this one is a little (laughs) little chilly. The people here this morning, they want the Christmas feel. Uh, But at uh, 1045, it's beautiful, it's sunny, and it's warm, and there's room to spread out. And so, hey, you could just turn us off right now. Go take a shower, and we'll see you here. (laughs) at 1045. Uh, But if not, uh, I would ask all of you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. We're in the series that we're calling uh, Christmas Fulfilled. And it's all about the promises that came true in the birth of Jesus. It's all about the predictions. That's kind of the the, the regular word that we would use when we use a churchy word like prophecy, we really mean the predictions that were made by God that were fulfilled or the predictions that came true in, in the birth of Jesus. And there are lots of predictions about the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the death of Jesus, over 300 of them in the Old Testament. And so we're, we just have a chance to look at a few of them today. And so the title for today is kind of an interesting one. It's, What If Jesus was raised in Bethlehem. What if Jesus was raised in Bethlehem? That's the the title for today, and that question, hanging in that question, is a Christian's faith. You might not have known that before, but the whole idea of prophecies in the Bible is that if they are Prophesied if they are predicted, but they don't come true. The Bible even tells us that that prophet is a dud, <laughs> that they're no good, that their message is not from God. And so the question today is, what if, what if Jesus was raised in Bethlehem and maybe you thought, <laughs> maybe you thought he was, You're kind of, your brain's kind of clicking through and thinking, wait, I thought <laughs> Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why does this even matter? Well, it does. It matters a lot to a Christian's faith, and today I'm going to show you why. We're talking about Jesus' birth, and so hope you found in your Bibles Luke chapter 2. We're also going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, so kind of find that in your Bible as well. Uh, And both of those chapters recount the events surrounding Jesus' birth. And the birth of Jesus had none of the fanfare that we imagine coming with the birth of a baby. You know, what we imagine with the birth of a baby is first come out with a little stick with a blue plus sign on it. and <laughs> You're like, oh no, it's really real. And then you go to the doctor to confirm that it's real and you walk out of the doctor's appointment thinking, oh no. How am I going to pay for college? (laughs) At least that's what goes through my mind. Oh no, how am I going to afford this? And then you go through all of the events of a child's birth. You go through the, the process of finding out the sex of the baby, and then you start painting the room blue, and then you do a gender reveal party, and then you go to the hospital, and that's all a big, crazy day. And then after the baby is born, the people who show up to your house, they don't care anything about you. At all, they don't even want to look you in, in your face. They, they are your parents, and they don't even care about you. They just want that kid. Those are the things that surround a baby's birth. Let me show you this commercial that kind of puts it in in human terms, I guess. Easier for them and you. So the birth of Jesus had none of that. None of these things. The the God in human flesh, the eventual King of the entire world, the, the Savior of all mankind, had none of those things. Now, if I was writing the script, it would be different. If I was writing the script, the savior of the world would have the, 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 the biggest news events of the entire year. If, if I had to, to write it, it would be that the birth of Jesus would be the biggest news story of the century. Helicopters flying over the hospital. TMZ bringing back news reports of dilation in centimeters because they always get the, like, the detailed news interviews of the hospital staff, interviews of the, the, the cook at the snack bar at the hospital, what everybody's eaten that day. I mean, it would be a big newsworthy day. This is the Messiah that is going to save people. If, it, if the Messiah, if I was gonna write this, if I was gonna do it for the Messiah, there would be a Cadillac Escalade limousine UberX that takes them to the hospital and when they get to the hospital they're going to get the penthouse suite in the hospital and mary is going to have all the medication that she wants i mean this is this is the king of the entire world he should have the, the, the biggest baby showers ever. He should have doctors, the best doctors from all around the world flown in for this day. But like I said, Jesus had none of that. Mary and Joseph had none of that. They didn't have a limousine taking them to the hospital, they had absolutely nothing the bible doesn't even say that there was a donkey there there was absolutely nothing there was no doctor not even one that played one on tv joseph was the only doctor and he had never had sex before and so all of this is new to him they had nothing nobody knew what was happening no helicopters no news stories no updates no, no Twitter feeds. Nobody even knew what was going on. It was just Mary and Joseph and then eventually a little baby boy and then some stinky animals. That's all there were. And so the events surrounding Jesus' birth had none of the fanfare that we imagined with the birth of a baby. But the events that occurred after the birth of Jesus was more fanfare than even the birth of a Kardashian kid. I don't know if you know this or not, but the birth of Jesus and the events surrounding post-Jesus' birth are part of the reason why Christians believe the Bible to be true. The events surrounding post-Jesus' birth, what happened after Jesus' birth, is part of the reason why Christians believe the Bible to be true. And so if you're a Christian here today, I'm glad that you're here. Today you're gonna leave more assured that the Bible is true and that God keeps his promises. If you're a little skeptical about all of this, I'm glad you're here, because you're gonna at least find out why it would be logical for somebody to consider the things in the Bible as accurate and true. And so that's why I asked you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter two. We left off last week in Luke chapter two, verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And you know exactly what happens after that. The angels come and they visit the shepherds. The shepherds go and and visit Jesus in the manger, and then the wise men come, and then the, the, the escape to Egypt. You know all of the things that happened. But what you may not know is most of those things were predicted hundreds or thousands of years even before they happened. And so today I want to show you five events that occurred after Jesus' birth that were fulfillment of prophecy that was made hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of years beforehand. And so we're in Luke chapter 2, and now we move to verse 8. It says, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Shepherds in this culture were lower than low. They were detestable. They were considered thieves because that's often how they survived. They were, they were just kind of nomads out in the desert and they would just steal from some of the farms nearby to kind of keep what they, you know, keep some food in their belly. They'd, they'd steal some of the lambs that were born so that they could sell them so that they had some money. And so they were considered the lowest of the low. They were the, the detestable ones. There were certain times of the year where there were moratoriums that shepherds could not go into the cities because people didn't want to be around shepherds. And so, verse nine, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is the Shekinah glory. We see the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, but this is the first time that we see it here in the in the New. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Now, we're not gonna spend a long time on this verse, but this is the central verse of this entire story or of the gospel or good news message. This is it. What if the angel came and said, "Hey, hey, guys, I'm bringing some news, but it's only for a few people, but not everyone. Keep it down. It's only for you. But see, that's not what the angel said. The angel said that this is good news for all people, no matter who you are, no matter how low low you were, no matter how low, low you were, and the angels, they were low. (laughs) <laughs> they were the lowest of the low. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what sheep you stole. It doesn't matter, matter what you stole from the farmer on the, on the edge of the countryside. It does not matter who you are. The news that is coming is great news for everyone. And this great news brings some great joy. In verse 11, it says, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And when he's looking at him, I mean he's looking at the shepherds, born for you, because you need it. And born for you, because you need it. And born for you, because you need it. And for you, who do you need it. And the live stream shepherds for you, because you definitely need it. Everyone. This is good news for everyone. There is a Savior that has been born. There is something that these shepherds had that they needed to be saved from, that they needed to be rescued from, and that was this thing called sin. Doing something you shouldn't say, doing something you shouldn't do, saying something you shouldn't say, or thinking something you shouldn't think. But see, that's not something that just these shepherds had. This is something that we all have. We all have something that we need to be saved from. And so the Savior comes not so that we can kind of get ourselves better, so that at some point in time finally God could recognize us. He comes in the middle of it all, even while we were in the middle of our sinning. Jesus comes so that then he would eventually be able to die on the cross for our sins, providing a way so that we could be saved from our sins. And so this angel is announcing, hey, you guys need it. (laughs) (laughs) This is good news for you. And it's good news for me and it's good news for the rest of us too. In verse 12 it says, this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Here's the way that you're going to go find this baby that is going to be born. Here's the things that you look for. No doubt there are a lot of babies in town. There are a lot of babies in Bethlehem. It was a full place. Everybody came and showed up because they had to go pay their taxes. They had to at least sign up so they could pay more taxes. And so Bethlehem is full. And so when the shepherds go to look for a baby, there's going to be a lot of them. And so here are the things that you look for. You look for babies wrapped in these uh, burial cloths. They're in a stable cave. Caves in the region. They would store their animals there to keep them cool in the summer or to keep them warm in the winter. Good shelter, but it's also in these caves that they would bury dead bodies. And so when Adam, or when Joe and, and Mary came looking for a place to stay, Joseph's thinking, okay, do I pick the dead guy cave or do I pick the animal cave? <laughs> well, Joseph did pretty, big, pretty good. He picked the animal cave, not the dead guy cave. But when their baby was born, they didn't have any extra clothing. And so they pulled out the, the claws that were there ready for the next death that was going to happen in town. And they pulled those claws off and they wrapped the baby in those claws. And they laid him in the only thing that they could lay him in, the place where the animals were eating. And nobody does that to a baby. And so when the shepherds come into town, they're looking at all the babies and all the babies in town, you know, they have a blue onesie with a little elephant on it says grandma's favorite, a little beanie on the head and all those things. And so when they see the blue and they see the pink and they see the beanie and they see the elephant, they're like, nope, nope, nope. Nope. And as soon as they look in the in, in that one, and they see a baby wrapped in some burial cloths, and they see it lying in a place that nobody would put their baby, they're like, "Aha! That, that's the one. That's the one that we should be looking for." And so, verse 19 in Luke chapter two, it says, "But Mary treasured all these things in her treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart." The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Now, we know this part of the story, but did you know that these events that the lowly would come and worship God were predicted thousands of years before it happened? All the way back to the book of Psalm. Psalm 72 is a messianic psalm in the sense that it is referring to a, what they think is a human king, but there is only one king that is going to fulfill all of the things that are in Psalm chapter 72. And so this is what it says in Psalm 72 verses 9 to 11. It says, let the nomads of the desert bow before him. Well, who is that? See, when, they were, when, the, when Solomon was writing this psalm, he didn't know who that was. Of course, this is fulfilled, and Jesus says the shepherds come and visit him. And not only that does it say in this part of the passage, and this says, Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. Well, who in the world is that referring to? Well, of course, they didn't know in the Old Testament. And this says, The kings of Sheba and the kings of Seba offer gifts, and let all kings bow down before him, and all nations serve him. Well, they, they, the writer really didn't know exactly who that was going to be or how that was going to play out. But Psalm 72 is looking forward to the Messiah that was going to come. Now you know the rest of the story, but I want us to look at it. Look at Matthew chapter two. We're not going to be back to Luke. We're going to stay in Matthew now. So Matthew chapter two, that's left in your Bibles. Matthew chapter two. The angels left, the shepherds left. Mary and Joseph, they buy a little condo in Bethlehem because they want to raise Jesus in Bethlehem. And a year, year and a half later, these events occur in Matthew chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrive in Jerusalem saying, so now we have the Magi. We have the wise men. We three kings of orient are, right? Well, they're not three of them. Oh, there could have been three. There could have been two. We know it was plural. So it had to have been at least two. Two. It could have been three, it could have been thirteen, it could have been thirty, it could have been three hundred i would I would guess reading what i 've read about the way that that um, influential people traveled, it was closer to three hundred than it was to three, but we don 't know how many of them there were, but they show up to Jerusalem and they are coming to King Herod and they say where is he who has been born King of the Jews for we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. This is Jesus' personal star He has his own personal star. This is a miraculous star. This isn't an aligning of planets. I know in the news lately, there's been like this thing of like the Christmas star and it's like amazing because two planets, Jupiter and uh, Mercury, I think, I don't know. Two of them are like lining up and they're gonna be close to Earth and it's kind of like the Christmas star they're calling it. But it was not that. This was a, a specific Jesus star this is his own star a miraculous star that they went out their backyard they looked up and they saw Jesus' star and so they've been following it this entire time and they get to Jerusalem and it's not going anywhere it disappears and so they ask around and you might as well ask the guy who knows everything you ask the king and so in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Yeah, he was a narcissistic king. He could not handle the idea of another king being around. And so he starts to freak out. And when this guy freaks out, everybody freaks out. And you're going to find out why in just a little bit today. He doesn't like the idea of a king being around. He is the king. And so, he tells these wise men, these magi, hey, when you happen to find him, I want to worship him too. <laughs> you come back and you tell me where he is and I'm gonna go worship him in the same way that you are. We pick it up in verse nine of Matthew chapter two. And after hearing the king, they, the magi, the, the wise men, after, they, after hearing him, they went their way And the star which they had seen in the east, they had been in the east, and they have been following it now, west, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. This is a unique star. It appears and disappears at least two times. And so this is not a a normal star, This star travels east to west, to, to get the wise men to Jerusalem, and then it travels north to south, Jerusalem to Bethlehem. No star travels east to west and then north to south. That's not the way the stars work. And if it was a real star, then a star, a, a planet, a, a solar, a, a sun of a solar system, coming and hovering over one particular address, would burn up the entire city. <laughs> it would be, burn up the entire country. It would burn up the entire planet before any star was associated with any particular address. So this is a special, unique. Miraculous star that they had followed, and it literally hovered over the place where Jesus' house was. He's t- he's toddlering around. He can walk, and he's his mom is thinking, "Oh man, what did I get myself into?" Now it's, now he's mobile, and so the, he's trying to protect the edges of the you know the edges of the coffee table so he doesn't hit his head all the time. And it says then in verse 11, and after coming into the house, notice they're in a house. They're no longer in that stable cave anymore. And after coming into the house, this is the the condo that they bought. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So obviously this is a fulfillment of what we already saw in Psalm 72. But the question arises, how would these guys know? How would these guys know to go out in their backyard and look up in the star right now? I mean, they, they had a, a thousand years to pick from. <laughs> how would they know what generation even, what guy should be looking for it? How would they know? Well, the Bible tells us where these wise men Start, what, what the origination of the wise men were. And they started all the way back in the book of Daniel. Remember when Daniel gets taken hostage, gets taken to Babylon, and Daniel and his buddy Shadrach, Meshach, and tobed we go, and they, they are all trained in Babylon University, and as they're trained in Babylon University, the king finds out that these are the smartest guys in town. And the king eventually makes Daniel the head of the wise men. And that's what Daniel 2, 48 tells us, just in a snippet of exactly what happened, the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Daniel was like the OG of wise men. He was the original one that that started it all and it just happened to be that the godfather of wise men wrote a book. He wrote a book. And so now, of course, all of his proteges for the rest of human history are gonna read the Godfather's book, right? They're they're gonna read the OG's book because he 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 knew how it how it started. And in his book, Daniel, he tells exactly what time Jesus is coming to earth in all of the prophecies. Now, several years ago, we studied all the prophecies of, of Daniel, uh, and maybe you remember that. But in Daniel chapter 9, I didn't, I didn't have the ability to type out all of Daniel chapter 9. But even in these two verses, you can see how God through Daniel begins to paint the picture for anybody who is willing to read and study the book of Daniel, paints the picture of a timeline of when the Messiah is going to show up on planet Earth. In verses 25 and 26 of Daniel 9, it says, So you are to know and to understand that from the issuing of a decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, that was a particular time, until Messiah the Prince, this is Jesus Christ, until you recognize him, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. He will be killed. That was when he dies on the cross. This is painted out for these guys. Six Hundred years. This book has been in circulation for 600 years. Imagine all the reprint, 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 all the publishers that it goes through, reprint, reprint, reprint. And here we are in the first century that these wise men are still reading the Godfather's book. (laughs) The OG of wise men. Daniel wrote a book and they studied it and they studied it well. And so they knew when to go out in their backyard and look up. And sure enough, what did they see? They saw a star the one that was predicted. And they followed it because they knew exactly what it was. And so this is the second prophecy that is fulfilled in the events post Jesus' birth. But now let's get to the third prophecy. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. In verse 12 it says, "Then Then having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left there for their own country in another way. They, they were sensitive to the fact that Herod was a bad dude, but they were also sensitive to the Lord's leading in their life. Not only was it Daniel's book that led him, them to go look out for that star, but it was also just them being sensitive to God's leading in their own lives. And so this just shows that, that, that God told them And they were sensitive to it, and they took the scenic route home. (laughs) They didn't go back by uh, the the crazy man's house. (laughs) They want to stay as far away from that as humanly possible. And so in verse 13 it says now when they had gone behold an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream and said get up take the child and his mother and flee to egypt and remain there until i tell you for herod is going to search for the child and destroy him and so joseph got up and took the child and his mother while they were while it was still night and left for egypt and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill, notice the word fulfill, meaning this was written about in the Old Testament. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. 780 years earlier, in the book of Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, those exact words are used, out of Egypt, I called my son. And now we have a fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, of course, the, of course, the skeptics are going to say, how in the world is this possible? How is this possible that the Old Testament predicts that he is going to be from Bethlehem? And then it predicts that he's going to be from Nazareth. And then it predicts that he's going to be from from Egypt. How in the world can all of those things be true all at one time? Well, now we can start to see how God puts together in his miraculous power to put all the pieces together to move people around. God says, hey, Joe, you got to go. Things are going to get bad before they are going to get better and you need to move now. And so they didn't get to pack up Jesus' tricycle in the U-Haul. They had to leave all the Christmas ornaments in the attic and they just left that night because something bad was going to happen. And so that was to fulfill exactly this prophecy, that is the third prophecy. But now we keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. In verse 16 it says, Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, (laughs) those guys, he became very enraged and sent and slew all of the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Now you know why everybody was freaked out when this guy got nervous. Because he doesn't play games. He did the math from when those wise men showed up. He started to do the math. Okay, okay, when did you see this? Okay, nine months. Okay, okay. And so he's like, okay, if I get all of the boys in all of the areas surrounding Bethlehem, then I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get this new up-and-coming king. And so he goes and he kills all of those baby boys. He had to do two years and under because Jesus was a toddler going for him. And then it says, then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. There's that word again. This has been talked about before. Matthew's just saying, hey, the things that we're experiencing has been talked about before. And then he quotes scripture, where he says, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31, the prophet. This is the fourth prophecy that was fulfilled in the events that followed Jesus' birth. Matthew just quotes it. Hey, remember that? This is what it was referring to. We didn't know all the details before, but now we know exactly what six hundred years ago Jeremiah was referring to. This is the fourth prophecy that is fulfilled in the events following Jesus' birth, and so this event of all of the baby boys being killed then is what triggers the the next prophecy that is fulfilled. Look at verse 19 of Matthew. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And so Joseph and Mary breathe a giant sigh of relief. It's all over. And so now we can go back into our own country. We can leave Egypt. We can go back to Bethlehem. We can go back to the condo. You know, the whole leaving for Egypt thing was just kind of a wrench in the spokes in our plans. We want to raise Jesus in Bethlehem. I mean, who wants to go back to mom and dad's house, really? Who wants to go back and move back into mom and dad's house? especially with all the drama that was surrounding Mary and Joseph and an unwed mom. Who would want to go back to that small little town? And so they planned, we're going to raise Jesus in, in Bethlehem. That's where his tricycle was. The ornaments for Christmas were still in the attic. They left a car in the garage. The doughboys out back. They're looking. They're looking to go back home. Not back to Nazareth. That's not where they wanted it. That's not where they bought their condo. They didn't want to go back home. And so they're headed back to to Bethlehem, because that's where their home was. Look at verse twenty-two. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, oh no, <laughs> Herod's son is now the ruler and it doesn't look like he's any more stable than his dad was. And he was afraid to go there. Then after being by, warned by God in a dream, Joseph left for the regions of Galilee. Now you know where this is going. And came and lived in a city called Nazareth and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. There's your fifth prophecy that was fulfilled in the events following the birth of, of Jesus. After Herod's death, everyone just kind of relaxes. They take their chill pill and they're headed back into town. That whole thing was just a, a wrench in the spokes. And so we're going back. They, they, uh, they sent a text to their neighbors. Hey, the coast all clear. The neighbor said, yeah, you're all good. So then the next phone call was to the pool guy. Hey, can you clean the pool? It's all green. We want to have a celebratory party when we get back into town. But then he finds out that Herod's crazy son <laughs> is now ruling. And God says, you can't go back there. You, you cannot go back to the place where you wanted to raise your son. Had, had Joseph not had that dream, he would have gone right back to Bethlehem and he would have raised Jesus in Bethlehem because that was the decision that they had made. And so they find themselves moving back to mom and dad's house. <laughs> Imagine that, moving back to town. But as Matthew says it, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. And this is why we know Jesus as a Nazarene and not a Bethlehemite. This is, this is why that's the case. This prophecy in Matthew chapter two, verse 23. Now the Old Testament does not specifically refer to this prophecy and we talked about this before, there are a lot of reasons for that. But this, to me, is the most convincing of the five prophecies. To me, this is a, I, I am convinced. <laughs> if this could happen, then it is all true. Maybe you need five. I don't need five, I just need one. This one is the most convincing to me. Do you know how hard it is to change a teenager's mind? Do you, how hard is it to change a teenager? Remember, Mary and Joseph were 18, 19 in there. Joseph may have been 20. But to change two teenagers' minds at the same time is impossible if a if a 19-year-old has in his mind that he's gonna go live in Bethlehem. He's gonna live in Bethlehem no matter what anybody else says. You remember, you were a 19-year-old one time too, right? Because we know it all when we're 19. And so I could get it. Maybe God could change one of their minds. Maybe God could get to Joseph and he could change Joseph's mind and Joseph would say, hey, Mary, you know, on the long drive back to Bethlehem. There's nothing but desert and they just start talking and Joseph's saying, you know, I think we should, I think we should go back to mom and dad's house. But Mary's gonna say, "Uh uh-uh, you can go there if you want. I am not going back to that place. You did not hear the things that people were saying to me. You did not hear the things that they were talking about me behind my back. Hey, I do not want our son to deal with all of that drama when we go back to that little small town about everything they're gonna talk about us. I'm not going back there. For God to change two teenagers' minds (laughs) to fulfill prophecy, I'm convinced. And that is exactly what happened. They, instead of taking the 91 straight and ending up in Bethlehem, they got on the toll road and they went back to Galilee. They went back to Nazareth went back to mom and dad's house. So they find themselves living where they had to, not where they wanted to. Maybe you can identify with that. And so let's get back to the, the, the question. What if, what if Jesus was raised in Bethlehem? What if Mary and Joseph stayed on the 91 and they were headstrong? They knew where their condo was. They, they had the mortgage, they'd been paying it and they were happy with being there. They, didn't want to, they did not want to listen to God. What if, what if they had gone back and raised Jesus in Bethlehem? See, I already told you that the the Bible says that if a prophet is wrong, even one time, that his prophecies are no good and he is not of God. As a matter of fact, they say often because he is saying that he's from God and he's not. Just one wrong prophecy. What if Jesus had been raised in Bethlehem? I mean, that seems like such a small little thing. But if Jesus had been raised in Bethlehem and he had been known as a Bethlehemian, then all of the prophecies would have been a lie. We might as well go home right now, get in someplace warm instead of being outside. We might as well sell this property and go on and do something else with our life because it's all a bunch of bunk. It's all fake, it's all a lie, if Jesus was raised in Bethlehem. And so for a skeptic to say, a prophecy where this kid is known from, known as being from Bethlehem, from Egypt, and from Nazareth, it is impossible. <laughs> what kind of prophet, what kind of prophecy would put those three things together? <laughs> Nobody would. But now we see exactly how it happened. That of course, yes, he was born in Bethlehem as it was predicted. He didn't stay there. He did. He went to Egypt. He had to because of what was going to happen from Herod. And then he was going to come back to Bethlehem to their house. But he ended up in Nazareth because of the crazy king that was still in town. And these are the ways that God in his infinite power is able to manipulate human history to have it completely fulfill all of the prophecies that God had made in the past. And so if you're skeptical about all of this whole Christianity thing, at least, at least would you pay attention to the specificity of all of the details and all of the all of the predictions that were made and at least consider the, the, the accuracy of those coming true, even just these five. Now, I know some skeptics would say, now, all of, all of what we've been reading is just self-fulfilling prophecy. It's just self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning that in the Old Testament, they wrote it down so that Matthew and Luke would know what to write down. It's just self-fulfilling prophecy. You told us what was gonna happen and a couple writers happened to write it down. No such thing as Jesus. <laughs> None of the, all this is a bunch of fake. But there is so much recorded documents outside of the scripture and surrounding the locations of Jesus's birth that, that there is there's so much proof that Jesus existed. There is more proof, written proof, documentation, writings, uh, uh, scriptures, references in secular uh, historians' writings. There is more proof that Jesus existed, just that, that a person that we have read about in scripture named Jesus existed than George Washington existed. There is more documentation, that if you put the two mounds of documentation uh, historical references in a pile, there is more pile for Jesus than a pile for George Washington. Now, of course, we don't doubt the fact that George Washington existed. I don't know of a secular scholar that, that says that Jesus didn't exist. Now, I don't know all the secular scholars in the world. You can bring me one tomorrow that would say that. But when I say secular scholar, I mean, a, I mean a, an, an atheist who's a scholar, who does his homework, who does his study, who, who, who looks at history. I don't know of an atheist scholar that says that Jesus doesn't exist. What they do say is that he was a good man, that he was a philosopher, that, um, that he was an in, in, in influential A leader of a grassroots movement, that he was an amazing rabbi, that he was a good man. I don't know of one that says that he doesn't exist because of the the overwhelming amount of evidence that Jesus existed. And so then you put together then all of these prophecies, even the five that we looked today. Here are the five that we looked at today, okay? That the low and the exalted would worship him. That was in the Old Testament, and then we just read that that happened. And then, that the Messiah would arrive at a specific time, at a specified time in the book of Daniel. So much so, that guys knew how to go out and look up in the sky and find the star that God had planted there for them. At just the right time, just the right year, just the right day, just the right week. That Jesus would come from Egypt. He did, he came from Egypt. I thought you said he came from Bethlehem. Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem, (laughs) but he came from Egypt. Number three, that Herod would slaughter young boys in Bethlehem. Yeah, 760 years before that was predicted that that was going to happen. And finally, number five, Jesus would be raised in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. And that is because of crazy son now being the ruler. Now look at all these. Are these just lucky guesses, you know, from fraudulent prognosticators? I mean, that seems too specific. There's too much detail there. It's because these are precise, precise, I mean detailed predictions coming from an all-knowing god that then could arrange history so that they would all come true completely all of them. And so any one of these prophecies are aston- astonishing. I mean just pick one, pick one of these five. Like man, that is some that that is a crazy good guess if that actually happened. But then when you consider to put all of these together, that every single one of them came true, we begin to realize that it wasn't an accident. These aren't just guesses. These are prophecies, predictions by a loving God written out so that then we would know who the Messiah was, who the Savior was, who the one was that was going to rescue us from this thing that we all have. And here's even a crazier thing. The Bible has prophecies that are written down in it that haven't even happened yet. <laughs> Meaning like about our future. You know, all these things that we have been reading have, were fulfilled in the first century and were written hundreds or thousands of years before that. But there are things written in the Bible about our future too things like Jesus is going to return as a judge this time. He's not going to come as a, as a sweet little baby. He's going to come as a judge, justice coming out of heaven. And he is going to judge those who were not saved. Because after all, the Bible says the wages, the, the result of sin is death. And so... Jesus is going to come back, still glorified, still still God. But now it's going to be God in righteousness, God in in holiness, God in, in justice. It will be a perfect justice. And everyone must pay for their own sin. And so when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus... They change their mind about who Jesus is, that he really was God when he was born. He really was God when he was put on the cross, that he died and he rose from the grave proving that he is God. When someone changes their mind about Jesus, their sins are washed away. But there's going to be a group of people who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus. There will be people who are listening to me right now that hear this and they will say, that's not for me. I'm not going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And the Bible promises, predicts that in the future, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus. And they will have to pay for their own sin in eternity in hell. And if these five crazy predictions could come true, what are the chances of that one coming true too? It's pretty high. And so now you know why Christians can logically, why they put together all these things and say, I believe it. And so when Jesus does come back as a judge, what is that going to be like for you? For many of you, you'll know that you are saved. And that is a wonderful thing. You'll go on to live with him reigning as a wonderful king. But what about you that have never put your faith and trust in Jesus? He will come back And now you're hearing the good news of who he is. And so I want you to change your mind. I want you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus today. I want you to change your mind about him and so that you will not have to experience his judgment. You know, God's judgment was poured out on Jesus on the cross and he paid for our sin. And the Bible says that all you need to do is put your faith and trust in him, believe in him. And all of your sins are washed away. But the Bible does say that there'll be some people who don't do that. And they will pay for their own sin in eternity in hell. And So now you get to make that decision. You've been given this great gift by God and now you can put your faith and trust in Jesus too and receive this great gift of salvation, meaning being saved from your sin. You're just like one of the shepherds. I'm like one of the shepherds and we all need a savior. And so I'm going to ask all of you would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning just create a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute Online you don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes you can But you can talk to God quietly in your heart you don't need to say anything out loud But you consider this have you put your faith and trust in Jesus do you know that do you know that Jesus has saved you is he your savior have you Put your faith and trust in this Jesus. You know the answer to that. And if you have not, today's the day that you can do that. You just talk to God in your heart. You can say, dear God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have done things I shouldn't have done and said things I shouldn't have said. And I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he lived a perfect life. And I believe that when he went to the cross, that he was dying for my sin, not his. And I believe that Jesus rose from the grave doing something that nobody else could do. And so I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I want to be saved by his salvation. I, he, I want him to be my, my rescuer. I want him to wash away my sin. I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. And if your head still bowed and your eyes so closed, the immediate promise says, boom. Mm. You now have the promise that you're going to heaven when you die. That when Jesus comes back to judge, that, that you are already safe, that your judgment has already been meted out on the cross. But then the promise is that you receive a gift. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. A gift at Christmas time, who knew? Holy Spirit comes and in lives inside of you and helps you live a life honored to God and it is a, he is a promise a seal um, the, the signed contract that he'll take your soul to heaven when you die. And that's a wonderful thing. And so God we thank you for this. We thank you for revealing these things to us. You did not have to tell us in the first place that you were going to do it. You did not have to tell us that you did it and yet you chose to reveal those things to us. And we praise you for this. And so God we look forward to the promises that you make for us the promises of taking us to heaven when we die, our, our sins being, being gone for all of eternity. We thank you for the things that you have done for us through your son. In Jesus' name, amen.